Hey, Josh. Yeah, Kendrick. If you were trapped in an airport, and by trapped I mean able to go but didn't want to leave, would you say the janitor is your best friend? Yeah, absolutely. Great. Talk to you later. <laughs> All right, have a good one. Hit it, boy. Uh. <laughs> get together, have a few laughs. Uh-oh. Shit, lady, do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza? Lady, put the freaking gun down on the ground right now. Take your son across the freaking street and say that until we come and get you. Hello and welcome to Where There's a Willis, There's a Way, a film podcast about the multitude of works by Bruce Willis. My name is Josh Carter, and with me as always... Is Kendrick Martin. So today, we're going to be talking about the movie Die Hard 2, nicknamed Die Harder, officially named that in some places but at least nicknamed it in our hearts for sure and um bruce willis in particular so we're gonna wrap up by doing the wheel of willis and rank this amongst the other movies that we've talked about that's right josh and since you mentioned it i'm actually curious is die harder part of the official name it's on the movie poster yeah, I think that it's like a unofficial subtitle, I want to say. I looked it up on um, IMDb a while ago, or maybe it was on Wikipedia. I can't remember which. I'm sure I could find out with some amount of clicking. Let's see. Die Harder. Not on IMDb. Mm. Die Harder. <laughs> yeah, IMDb just says the tagline is Die Harder. Um... Okay, so yeah, so the film's on-screen title is Die Hard 2, as also given in the initial home video release official website. The film's original advertising used Die Harder as a tagline, and many releases of the film, for example, the 2006 DVD release and the 2007 Blu-ray release, were marketed under the title Die Hard 2, Die Harder. Mm. But it sounds like, it sounds like you can kind of... Do whatever you want to with it. You're not uh, you're not bound by one one thing or another. Uh, while I was looking stuff up on this movie, doing some research, I found out that in other countries they call it different titles, which is fairly normal. And mm-hmm. in Russia, they call all of the Die Hard series uh, movies. They call them the hard nut to crack movies, which. Oh, I see. I find much more uh, explain it, ex- explanatory than die harder. Yeah. And there's another country, I don't remember where, but another country calls it something about like the glass escape, referring to die hard one. Um, they call mm. all of them that. So it's like the glass escape two or the glass escape three or whatever, um, which I think is funny because like, I don't think there's a, uh, a glass... <laughs> You're not escaping a tower, glass tower escape in any other movies. Yeah. Yeah. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah, we might be. Wow, spoiler alert. Yeah. There is not the same tower. It's not the same exact movie as the first one. Right. There's not even a tower. Yeah. Well, there is a tower, but a different there kind is a tower. of tower. Yeah, exactly. 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 Uh, Josh. Um, yeah. If I was a listener and I had a tweet to send... Just any old tweet waiting for some recipient. Yeah. Right? 
And that tweet was like diehard related or Bruce Willis related. Do you know some way that I could send it in a directed way? Yeah, I sure do. If you tweet at Willis Waypod, it will fly into our little tweet basket and we will get it. Yeah, that's right. And if you'd rather email uh, using the old fashioned email method, you could do williswaypod at gmail.com. That's right. So please talk to us. We're, um, we're lonely. Well, speak for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was just trying to like shame people into talking to us. I, I, I'm not actually lonely right now. I'm feeling okay. I'm feeling okay. Um, yeah. So before we hop into talking about Die Hard 2 and all the specifics of it, um, just so everybody is aware, you can find this movie on HBO right now, and there will be spoilers. And we are going to play some audio from the trailer for Die Hard 2. So sit back and enjoy. Listen, honey, when you land, can we check into a hotel, or leave the kids with your parents, order some room service? You're on, Lieutenant. I see you in about a half an hour, honey. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock. Christmas Eve. Is there a cop on duty around here? Airport police. Go get him. Jingle bells swing and jingle bells ring. Washington, D.C. International Airport. What's this about? Oh, just a feeling I have. Ouch. And you get those feelings, insurance companies start to go bankrupt. The tower's lost control. Instrument landing system is down. Backup systems won't come up. We've got blizzard conditions. Zero visibility. Attention all controllers. We have a code red alert. There's panic in the air. Professional mercenary. You got the world's biggest drug dealer on his way here now. What do you need, a slide rule to figure this out? You get the hell out of my office before I throw you out of my damn airport. All right, that audio was from the trailer of Die Hard 2. Die Harder. Die Hardier. Uh, I'm going to read the description from IMDb. John McClane's attempt to, defer, to avert disaster as rogue military operatives seize control of Dulles International Airport in Washington, D.C. And as we said before, we're going to spoil the whole plot of this movie. You can find it on HBO or other video on-demand services. So, before we dive into specifics, mm-hmm. Josh, how did you like this movie? Did you like it better or worse? Well, first of all, I assume this is the first time you've seen it since you hadn't yeah, I haven't seen, seen any Hard. of the Die Hard movies at all before starting this podcast, and I definitely had not seen the second one. <laughs> Same here. So how did you like it and what did you think yeah, of it compared I would to the say first one? that I definitely liked it less than the first one. I did not think that it was as good. I have a bunch of different problems with it, which we can go into later. But I was a little bit let down by this movie, I'd feel. What about you? Um, I feel the same way. I think Bruce Willis's performance in particular, I thought was as good as yeah. the first movie. I, f- um, I had a lot of uh, issues with the rest of the setup, though, yeah. which we'll get to. I think Bruce um, Willis is in like a pretty good groove with this movie. Like You can definitely feel that he's got a, a good sense of the character and stuff, and it's a good character for him to play, but the rest of the movie around him is kind of, kind of determines how good the movie is as a whole because he's consistent, and I think that 
the rest of the movie around him failed him. Uh, I agree, which is kind of sad because on paper it has all the plot points and elements of what you think would mm-hmm. be a great movie. If if you're out there and you haven't listened to our Die Hard episode, I would recommend that because the original Die Hard movie is what really kicked off uh, the whole trend of Die Hard. And I think uh, the series, while being Bruce Willis's most well-known series, it's really that first movie that kind of cemented this concept. And when you think of the Die Hard stories, to me, what I think of is uh, you're dealing with limited resources and you're in a single place and you're fighting kind of a prepared enemy who's trying to achieve yeah. some goal. and you're usually fighting and alone. I think... Or pretty much alone. Yeah. Correct, correct. Yep, yeah. And there's been a lot of movies we mentioned uh, last time. We've There's been a lot of other movies. This has kind of spawned its, all, its own mm-hmm. genre almost uh, of like diehard-like yeah. movies. So... Like, like we mentioned, this movie being set uh, in an airport, it seems that there there would be a lot there, uh, but it ends up falling over yeah. repeatedly. And I think that there's like a lot of a lot of issues that led to it falling over repeatedly. And I'm not like a, a super big hard ass on movies. Like if I'm having a good time with it, I'm not going to be thinking about like all the different parts where a movie's writing has really let it down. But if the movie is not fun enough to where I am, am starting to let my mind wander and think about the plot and this and how things don't make sense and don't add up, it's not a good thing. Not a good thing at all. And this movie does that. So part of it is obviously the directing because ideally, even if you're given really shitty material, you can make something that's compelling um, to a certain extent. And then a good chunk of this lies with the writing. And that kind of makes me wonder, like, was the writing in the first movie tons and tons better? Or was it just much better directed and acted? Like, what do you think? So my main problem with this movie, and it's, well, first of all, I want to, I want to respond quickly to what you said. Uh, it's interesting you say that because I read Roger Ebert's review and he liked this movie much better than mm-hmm. the last Die Hard, the Die Hard, the first one, because he felt like it was over the top enough that you could just shut your brain off to the plot holes. Yeah. Um, whereas the first one, he found that it wasn't fun enough to watch as far as summer yeah. blockbuster. Uh, granted, that review was written when the movie came out, um, you know, 30 years ago. So uh, it may just be the an element of the times that we have expanded on this concept so much better that it's hard to view this in the lens of what 1990 would have looked like. But getting back to your question, my main uh, issue with this movie was kind of the free reign that John McClane Mm -hmm. has. And he is all over the place. He's going up into the uh, aircraft tower. He's going down to the sewer pipes. He's going out to the runway, to the different parts of the, to the terminal. Mm -hmm. Uh, and he's interacting with people here and there. And I felt like what made the first movie so good was he was on his own and he was kind of trapped. And while he was trapped, he was outsmarting uh, the bad guys. Yeah, I would agree with all that. I think that that is 
a very important part that is missing from this movie. I think that even with him roaming around, there was other things that didn't really work great either. It is interesting that you bring up like his um, kind of ingenuity and stuff like that, because I think one of the scenes that worked the best for me in this movie is when it's, I think the second fight scene where they're fighting the bad guys dressed up in paint costumes, the, by the way, if you've seen Terminator two, the T 1000 is one of the bad guys, but, um, uh, (laughs) Robert Patrick. Yeah. That's yeah. 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 So they, um, during that fight sequence, there's like a bad guy that his gun is jammed. So he's just running at Bruce Willis and, He's got a knife or something like that. I don't even remember fully, but Bruce Willis hits this button to make the walking, um, moving walkway come towards him. And it brings a gun to him cause he's stuck underneath something. And it's this very tense moment of Bruce Willis seeing the problem, figuring out a solution, doing the solution. And then you still aren't quite sure if it's going to work. And then it does. And that part I thought worked really, really great. And there's tiny little moments like that that work great. But by and large, I think that the action just isn't shot in a way that really resonated with me. There's not a whole lot of problem solving that you're seeing during fight sequences. And that's what you want in a fight sequence. You want it to be like a issue arises that the audience and the character sees the character figures out a solution, does the solution. Then the other person has that same experience, just counter. And whenever there's just like random shots of Bruce Willis shooting at people or whatever, it just doesn't resonate if you don't see the peril that he's in at first. And I don't think that the directing is as competent in showing that as like the first movie was. A really good point. I, while I was watching this, I thought to myself, man, this movie feels really yeah. long. And if you had asked me, I would have thought it was much longer than the first Die Hard. But actually, no, it was shorter by about wow. 10 minutes. Uh, and I think I think your point about him problem solving uh, is what made that movie seem so long was... We're never we're seeing very little John McClane having to think on the fly like he did mm-hmm. in that first movie. I like for there in the first movie he has to deal with being trapped in a vent, being trapped you know uh, in an elevator, having yeah. no shoes, dealing with glass, having no supplies, having to uh, at first having no gun, get right? a hold of the cops. <laughs> Yeah, right, having no gun. And then he has to convince the cops to show up. Yeah. And he has all these challenges he has to overcome. Whereas this one, it's uh, basically him. The only challenge he has to overcome is kind of the bureaucracy of the people around him, which we talked a little about in the first Die Hard, and it felt like the Die Hard series, at least so far, the main thrust of the kind of story is bureaucracy and the system is dumb and slow and if you're on your own you're the lone wolf you're going to operate much better um and i think 
I think in the first Die Hard that you could kind of see, you could concede the the argument, but this movie just felt way too over the top, especially with the um that one uh, police the officer guy. Air, airport, yeah, the airport yeah. police chief, uh, Car, Carmine Lorenzo, played by Dennis Franz, which the name Carmine is, uh, I can't think of, I can't hear without thinking of Carmine Falcone, the bad oh, guy yeah. in Batman. Um, it just sounds like such a, such a silly name to name yeah. your character, but, um, and I, I didn't think that like that guy did a terrible job. I just don't think that the material that he was given was anything more than a very two dimensional character. And I mean, at one point in the movie, I wrote this down cause it seemed so, so specifically stated, but the general or the major, I can't remember what the army guy's name is, what his uh, t- title is, but his character's name is Grant played by John Amos. And he, at one point, just says, get this bureaucrat out of here, literally word for word. And that is, I think, exactly what they wanted the audience to feel by that. And so they just keep pounding away with the same point over and over and over again. And it just gets really old. So I've had a lot of negative stuff to say about this movie, but I want to point out some things I did like. Uh, William Sadler plays kind of the head mm. bad guy and I know him best as death yeah. from Bill and Ted <laughs> and I thought I enjoyed his performance. I don't think he uh, I don't think he achieved the same level of camp and brilliance that Hans Gruber no. was in the first Die Hard but really that's a that's a high bar mm-hmm. to pass but I thought he had a he had a great uh, performance and it's, that beginning when he's for some reason, doing his yoga yeah. <laughs> naked in the hotel room, I, I, w- I, w- I saw that and I was like, what are we witnessing yeah. right now? I, it was a very specific like, was so bananas. power move for that character. That I thought that sequence was really yeah, he, weird, but I don't know. He's so confident in his masculinity and abilities that I guess he feels like he can do his workout in uh, the hotel. I did love that scene though, where right after that he walks out of the hotel, his, his hotel room and he's walking down the hallway. And as he walks down the hallway, every door (laughs) next to him, like a henchman comes out of, I thought that was like super cool and didn't make any sense. Like if you're a bad guy, you're just waiting for the, you know, ringmaster to walk by so you can open yeah. your door on like it didn't make any sense but i thought visually it was really yeah. well done um i would agree another thing i really liked about this movie was we got to watch the bad guys kind of set up their base in that church mm-hmm. outside the airport and i love watching a movie uh where the the bad guy is super intelligent and you see like him lay his whole plan out and they roll in all this equipment and they set it all up and they have all these plans and they tick through the steps. And every time something happens, they're like, all right, this is exactly what we expected. Uh, I thought that was all super enjoyable. And I think one of the great things about this kind of movie is we get to watch like really smart bad guys 
who think they have everything yeah. figured out kind of get foiled by the by the wrench yes. on the plans. Yeah, I think that by and large, I am less inclined to like movies with dumb bad guys. But yeah. Yep, I agree. So a couple a couple other things about this movie that I feel like are worth mentioning. Uh, it's our first movie that we're reviewing that was released mm-hmm. during the '90s, and it's not. There's not a hard kind of line set, you know, between the '90s and '89 yeah. technologically. But I think it's worth noting how different things were. Even it wasn't that long ago um, from they are today. Uh, specifically around airports. So another thing we mentioned in the uh, Die Hard 1 episode was any movie around a terrorist act, especially around explosions, post 9-11 sits differently. And this movie... Yeah, in a high high rise specifically. But this one being the second one was set in an airport and was all dealing with airplanes. So again, I felt like all my same feelings that I had last time were repeated uh, hopefully Die Hard 3 is neither in a high-rise yeah. nor in an airport. Um, but also, this movie talks a lot about the drug war, which was really in full swing mm-hmm. in 1990, and America's interference in South American countries, specifically around, which they had been doing for the better part of the 20th century, but uh, quashing any communist but. Uh, budding communist or socialist yeah. countries to kind of make sure that they get a capitalist empire in place and they would do that via guns and, and supporting warlords and Even things. Even drugs and, sometimes. Um, yeah, this movie kind of deals with that in a little bit. It doesn't really talk about it a whole lot, but it's just a good reminder of how much in the news that was yeah. then. And they talk about how this, the general that they're kind of that's the main uh prize um that they're trying to steal is a uh major criminal that's i think the newscaster says this is the first major trial that the drug war quote unquote will um hold Mm -hmm. and uh i think being 30 years removed from that um and kind of like relearning our history and and how the drug war was really more of a way for the government to kind of utilize its influence and and quash dissension and less of a heralded savior of, of the, the youth of the especially. people that we thought it yeah. was maybe in the 90s yeah um i think that also sat differently so it was it was a challenge separating my thoughts of that right from the get go of being like this movie is about terrorists in an airport and it's about the yeah. drug war. Um, so those are two kind of like major elements that uh, I think I, I'm curious as to what we'll be experiencing as we go through the nineties. I know Bruce Willis doesn't only do action movies in the nineties, at least not for the, the early mm-hmm. part of the nineties, but it's always interesting looking at the movies as an artifact yeah. of their time. And as, the pop culture and and our like collective conscious kind of changes over time when we start to figure things out. Um, I'll be interested to see. Yeah, how that definitely. I totally agree with everything that you just said. Yeah. I, even though like the bad guys are obviously it has that, that background fleshing it out. 
I did kind of feel like their motives were even less fleshed out than the first movie. And it almost just felt like they were bad guys just because they were bad guys. And I wasn't as crazy about that. Like, I kind of wanted to know why the bad guys had their skin in the game. But I don't really feel Mm. like you got that much. And so you're just supposed to believe that, like, all these people are throwing away their military careers and risking their life for this guy just because they like him. But I don't know. I didn't I didn't really buy the bad guy's motivations as much, which kind of made me less inclined to get with the movie in general. Because some good motivations can at least excuse away some amount of dumb stuff in a movie. But they didn't even have that in this movie. So that was kind of an issue. I felt like it almost felt like the bad guy version of the works for the business. And we do the charts at the business. You know, the the reports at the business. The meetings at the business. Like oh we have the guns at the the bad guys base we have the bombs at the bad guys base we do bad guy things at bad guy base just felt maybe a little bit um a little bit unrealistic not that Die Hard has to be super super realistic it's literally called Die Hard and it's about a one cop that fights a bunch of bad guys but. I just, I guess I wanted it to be try a little bit harder. I wanted, I want to try hard to try harder rather than die hard to mm. die harder. So this should have been die hard, die to, hard try to try harder. Try harder. Try harder to write a better movie. Um, it's probably what I would have called it. Yeah. The, um, I wrote down a bunch of different stuff with, the writing, directing, producing issues that I had with this movie, because I had a lot of them, it felt like every couple of minutes, something would kick me back out of enjoying the movie. Like, I would get into it for a tiny bit, and then I would just get launched back into real life, and it was really unpleasant. Um, One of the things that was in this movie is that I didn't really remember the music in the first movie being amazing or being that bad it was all fine i remember that there was like a cool remix of a christmas song that was like a menacing version um but that that's kind of like it as far as the stuff that i really remember and the end sequence the christmas song but in this movie the (laughs) like every time there were bad guys it felt very if, if you've seen like the 1960s mission impossible like it's the bad guys theme. Bum, 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 bum. Like there's just very bad guy themes around the bad guys. So there's no ambiguity about what's going on. You don't have like a whole Jason Bourne moment where you're trying to figure out who's actually bad, who's actually good. Um, U.S. doesn't always equal good. Who's the U.S. guys that are bad, all that sort of stuff. You don't really feel that as much because they're so overt with all of the themes and like even in the first shootout the music is just really really odd like it almost sounds quirky it doesn't sound intense to me at all so i don't i don't really know what's going on with that but i did not like the music nearly as much in this movie it was distractingly bad and pulled me out of the moments and that was that was an issue that i had with it for sure 
Yeah, I the music the music went right over my head up until yeah. the ending, <laughs> uh, which we'll get to later. Um, what? Tell me some other issues. You yeah, have. as far as the writing goes, I started making a list of stuff. So I'll get to my biggest issue later, but some different issues that I had was a goon comes up to William Sadler and is like, I'm so sorry, Mr. Boss. We did not do as well as we could have done. And then William Sadler's like, and for your insolence, you will pay. And he clicks a gun in his face and then the gun ends up being empty. And then he's like, oh, well, and then it's just supposed to be like a threatening moment. But then you realize that William Sadler just keeps an empty gun around for threatening per- threat threatening based purposes, and that doesn't make any sense at all because like <laughs> it, it's so ridiculous. Um, like literally in um, about maybe a third of the way through the movie, uh, Bruce Willis is going around being like, "Wow, another elevator, another basement." wow, everything is happening again. Like, as if it's the writers being like, this movie is kind of similar. Should we say something about it? They're like, yeah, just throw a line in there. That's what it felt like. Um, So that was another issue that I had with it. And also, every single person in this movie basically knows who John McClane is. Like, he'll meet some, except for at the beginning when he meets the cops, but like, William Sadler knows who John McClane is. This like random drug guy knows who John McClane is. And I, I guess maybe they did a quick Google search before they decided to do this whole mission, but it seems ridiculous that they know who this guy is when he stopped a terrorist attack on the other side of the country a year ago, but you don't really hear too much about terrorist attacks being stopped unless it's like local news or it's a really, 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 really big deal. So it just seemed weird that like everybody knew who he was, at least to me. Um, that was another issue I had with it. The British playing and the writing and directing of that was so cringe to me. Um, the yippee at the end felt really unearned, unearned to me. Oh, yeah. Um, and yeah, then... Yeah. Marvin the janitor I could not stand that guy I every single time so throughout the movie Bruce Willis will take a little like pit stop checkpoint moment and go back to this janitor that's inside the um, air traffic control tower and he'll just like have a short conversation with him and there's like at one point he stops a record from playing and he like messes with the guy's maps. Cause he's just trying to do Bruce Willis stuff. And then this guy keeps jutting his way into these scenes and being like, Oh no, I'm Marvin the janitor. I gotta help you out. And he's like in the end sequence as well. I hated that character. So I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I kind of read that as, uh, as kind of a replacement for the Reginald Val Johnson character in the first movie. Yeah. Like, Bruce Willis needed a someone to talk to, uh, and I think that was kind of who that was supposed to be. I was really disappointed in the Reginald Val Johnson's role in this movie. Yeah. I thought he just showed up once to eat some Twinkies and deal with a with a yep. fax, and I was like, "Oh, are we gonna see more of him?" Yep, nope, there. I have once. more stuff to talk about with him. 
Yeah. But the biggest problem that I had with the writing is um, just so many moments of unbelievable craziness going on. Like, just not even... I'm okay if you take the real world as the base and then do a heightened version of the real world because it's cinema. And then you can even do a heightened version of that because it's action cinema. That's fine. But there's so many things that do not make sense. Like there's the air traffic control tower is so loud. Normally they're not that loud so that you could hear what's going on. Um, in an actual emergency, you would definitely not just have the planes fly around for hours and hours and hours. You'd be like, Hey, we're about to lose contact. Go land somewhere else. Um, the not communicating with the public was, did not make any sense to me at all. The, um, other air traffic control towers not stepping in that are in the nearby area and being like, Hey, you guys have been up there a while or any of the planes not talking to each other didn't make any sense to me either. Cause the planes wouldn't have to communicate with the ground. They could just communicate with each other. The whole bad guys getting on the biggest and slowest plane that they could possibly find at the end, even though there's only like what 25 of them just made no sense. So many things in this movie made no sense to me. Yeah, and I think uh, like a, an action movie's plot can be full of plot holes if the set pieces are all yeah. really well done. And unfortunately, this movie was a little too long and the set pieces were a little too contrived that left time for you yeah. to think about that. Um, before we move on to some trivia facts, because I have a couple of things to talk about. Is there any other overall thoughts you have just on this movie in general? Yeah, I've, I've actually got a pretty controversial thought. I want to proposition that John McClane is a bad guy in this movie. Interesting. Tell me, yeah, tell so, me your argument. First off, I'm just going to say maybe if he is not, he's not the bad guy, but he is not somebody that helps the overall situation. So first off, he is totally wrong about his car sequence at the beginning. Like he's parking his car in a loading, no park zone and just expecting to get away with it because he's a cop and he's trying to flex on the other cops because he's a cop and get them to just ignore it. Plus it's a, and he's going to be there there for for hours. hours. Like his wife's plane is out ways away. Um, and we're supposed to be rooting for him. And I was not. I From the get-go, I was like, fuck you, asshole. <laughs> I was so, so frustrated at him. And then later, when he's suspicious of those bad guys at the, the cafe or whatever in the airport, he doesn't go tell the cops because he's like, oh, this guy had it out for me earlier because he towed my car. So I'm just not going to tell them that there's suspicious behavior going on here, which wouldn't make any sense. Like if you're a cop and you want to stop the bad guys and you are convinced that something shady's going on, you would let them know and you would get over your stupid, like just macho-ness, but he doesn't at all. He doesn't even try to do that. And it was it was dumb. It was very stupid. Um, the other thing is, is that the bad guys kill a lot of people and they keep killing a lot of people because the good guys are rebelling against them. 
and the bad guys would presumably let the all the civilians that they have um, as hostages up in the air. They presumably let them land if they just got their way. Bruce Willis prevents them from getting their way, and all of those people on that one flight die as a part of it. 280 people, 230 people, something like that, on that one British flight. And a bunch of other people are sacrificed as well. So a lot of people die basically just because Bruce Willis cannot keep his gun holstered and just go, you know what? If I get involved, a lot more people are going to die. Cause it's not like the situation at the tower where it was all hostages contained in one area and there isn't a whole lot left up to chance because the bad guys are totally in control of the situation. This movie is a lot different. There's a lot more stuff left up to chance. The hostages are spread out. There's, um, and they're all up in the sky too. So it's not something that he can directly affect. So it just seems like he, by jumping in there, um, was almost one, like a, representation of the u.s inserting ourselves into different conflicts that we had no business being in and then causing greater damage because we were there than if we had just let things play out and um two he is not at all following or respecting the chain of command and i know that he thinks that he's hot stuff and then the script makes him into hot stuff but i just do not think that he had any right to do all that stuff. That's my, that's my argument. That's my super hot take about this movie. Uh, that's interesting. I don't quite totally agree, fair. but yeah. that's fine. <laughs> like I said, it's a hot take. I'm saying that the bad, that the good guy in a movie is a bad guy. So it's, it is, it is a little bit of a spicy yeah. <laughs> take. Um, did you have any other thoughts on, the rest of the stuff before we hop into trivia things. Uh, nope. I think I'm ready to go okay. straight to trivia. Sounds good. So the biggest trivia topic, uh, first of all, is our Star Trek connection. And I was, I did not look up anything about this movie beforehand. And I was very excited to see that it was a fairly straightforward connection mm-hmm. to Star Trek that we did not require to yes. be an oboe player. Yeah, Tom Boyd, your services are not required yet. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're, we're speaking, of course, of Cole Meany, the pilot of the British aircraft, which uh, there's a scene in which that aircraft crashes and everyone on board dies. And that was when this movie really lost me because that was yeah. horrific. It's extremely horrific. And it's just kind of like, oh, no, it's a dangerous time out there. And I'm like... We just watched them like take care of this little old lady and get yeah. her her tea. Yeah, this movie. I think I read that I was this movie I was had aghast. the highest body count out of any Die Hard movie, and that does not surprise me at all because there's so many people that die. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, so Cole Meany. <laughs> but Cole Cole Meany, the <laughs> right, <laughs> was the pilot of that plane, and he's best known as Miles O'Brien from Next Generation, D Space Nine, several movies. And uh, one of my favorite characters in Star Trek, so I was really mm-hmm. glad to see him. And uh, once he died, he played Chief Nobrian. Um, and then the bonus Star Trek connection 
is actually the villain William Sadler was also in several Star Trek episodes. Yeah. Nice. I still think he's best as death. Oh, absolutely. Ted, but yeah, in the Star Trek, Trek episodes, he plays a like secret agent guy within Star Trek's um, the Federation's like secret CIA thingamabobber. To go into more detail would be spoilery, but it is he's great in that. I've liked him in basically everything that I've seen, but Bill and Ted's bogus journey is definitely his best performance. <laughs> Yes, he's also in uh, Bill and Ted Face the Music that came out last year. Yeah, it was enjoyable. If you liked the earlier Bill and Ted's, you will like that Bill and Ted. Um, One other thing that I wanted to bring up with this movie is if you look at IMDb, you will see that the guy that plays Al, Reginald Johnson, is fourth build in this movie which means that he probably has the best agent in all of hollywood because he is in one fucking scene so if you are and he's not even yeah, he's just on the phone he doesn't talk to bruce willis face to face at all yeah um another fun little trivia bit is this movie has notoriously bad dubbing the 90s in general especially the early 90s had some really bad tv dubbing and this movie if you Google um, dubbing Die Hard 2, you will see so many great scenes. And my favorite one is at the end when Bruce Willis kills the bad guy playing. He just goes like, yippee motherfucker. And in the um, dub, he goes, yippee Mr. Falcon. At the end of the movie, <laughs> there is no character named Mr. Falcon at all. <laughs> I do not know where they got that, and it's the best thing ever. Yeah. That is great. <laughs> yeah, just tremendous. Um, for those of you that have listened in on other stuff, we've talked about the money and how much each movie has made. I'm not going to go recap everything for everybody. But this movie did have a budget of $70 million, which is quite a bit higher than everything else that Bruce Willis had done at this point. Die Hard, when it was made, was $35 million for the budget, so it's double it. And um, it brought in $240 million, which is the second highest out of all of his movies, with the highest obviously being the <laughs> critical darling, look who's talking... <laughs> <laughs> which made $297 million. <laughs> yeah, but it made it made more money than the first one. And obviously, like, Roger, e- Roger Ebert liked it more than the first one, so I guess people seem to like this movie. I, um... Yeah, and I mean, it definitely, like, people came out oh, to yeah. see this movie. Um, one thing that I was kind of thinking about is when you look at other sort of franchise movies... For me, I was expecting this movie to be about on par with the first one. And then I started thinking about how franchise movies kind of start to eventually feel like, um, you know, like the Fred Meyer or the Winco brand of blah, blah, blah. Um, So like Winco brand Mm -hmm. soda or whatever. I kind of started to think about it. I think that the Terminator movies are kind of like soda. Like some are just about as good as the first one. And then a lot of the other ones are pretty bad. Star Wars is kind of like potato chips where after the first Star Wars movie, 
they're all potato chips of varying quality. Some are not that great. Some are pretty good. And Die Hard for me kind of feels like Oreos at this point. And knockoff Oreos are not nearly as good as regular Oreos, so we'll see. I'm 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 willing to be impressed by Die Hard Three. I'm hoping that Die Hard Three is better than Die Hard Two. So, well, I'll, I'll hope for that. <laughs> I thought you were gonna go into like different flavored of Oreos, <laughs> like uh, Oreos with red velvet oh. or or other oh. weird Oreo flavors. Oreos with mint toothpaste. That's how this movie felt to me. Yeah, now, yeah. There you go. Bad. It was not that bad. It just wasn't that good either. Um, okay, let's talk specifically about Bruce Willis, and I feel like it was we kind of covered a lot of the the stuff already. Um, I thought, like I said at the beginning, that he plays this character really mm-hmm. well, and I think what I love seeing Bruce Willis do is tell kind of quippy jokes as he runs around. Uh, saving people from mishaps. I read that in the first Die Hard, he ended up ad-libbing some of his lines. And um, so for this one, they just planned on him to like ad-lib a lot of his quips and yeah. and one lines. And I thought that it, it created a really suave character. And there, there's even, there's like a scene where he flirts with the girl who runs the rental car yeah. desk or whatever. And she's like, let's go out for a drink. And he's like, no, no, I'm married. Like, I think just him kind of being like in his element, uh, but staying true to his main purpose, which was to save his wife from uh, that airplane, I thought created like a really compelling character and was really fun to watch. I will say that I thought that maybe there was a, a quip or two too many. That's my main critique with it. I, especially at the beginning about third of the movie there's a lot of quips it's like all right all right i I could i could maybe maybe do with one less there was one in one in particular (laughs) that struck me um bruce willis says uh to the bureaucrat guy he's like what sets off the metal detector first the lead in your ass or the shit in your brains and then yeah that didn't make any sense oh um, I've never had brain shit set off metal detectors. I don't, I don't know. I, yeah, I was like, buddy, I get what you're going for, but what? <laughs> yeah. But for the most part, they were, they were good. I, there's, there was maybe one other one that was notable for me, but yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, one thing that I forgot to mention about this director is, um, yeah, he uh, he's directed 21 films in total and um, f- five movies that he's directed has have been nominated for a Razzie for directing and he's uh. directed four movies that have had a positive tomato meter. So maybe he's not the guy to tell Bruce Willis, hey, that's one quip too many. Maybe he is. um not not necessarily the strongest director, and that might have been part of it. I feel like maybe a better director would have known to say, "Hey, you know, Bruce Willis, the um, the shit in your brains line isn't really working. Maybe uh, maybe try retooling that one, or just just walk out in a huff." 
And this guy's like, yeah, it sounds good. Make the movie. It's kind of what it felt like to me. Uh, you're talking about Rennie Harlan, yeah. the director of this movie. And I had looked at his IMDb page and did not recognize a lot yeah. of that stuff. So it does not surprise me that he's nominated for Razzies. I didn't look up. Uh, so maybe you did, but was Die Hard 2 nominated for any I awards? I don't believe so. I don't think so. Uh, well, you're wrong. I just looked it up. <laughs> it was nominated for Best Foreign Film by the Japanese okay. Academy. And it won uh, uh, a BMI Film uh, Music Award. Well, so, I guess... Turns out there's awards yeah, for everybody. They got a, a beef with my critique of the music. Um, so neither of us have seen Die Hard movies beyond this one. And I'm curious, the, the progression seems to be of John McClane's character that he was a New York cop who tried to get together with his wife and she was more interested in kind of her own career. She moved to LA and... He followed her, now is a cop in L.A., and they're back in uh, Washington, D.C. on vacation. Do you feel like his character arc, where do we think this character's headed? I don't know. you think every other movie in the Die Hard series is just him at the right place on the wrong time? I'm going to guess that that is the case i mean i think that they even have like a a line like that in this movie yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i mean die hard 2 is definitely that way i'm more wondering like is die hard 3 going to be similar or is it going to be uh like he's more of an active player and getting himself into that situation yeah like his wife does something terrible and he has to like go Mm. kind of fix the problem she's in i did notice that she is reading like a Nakatomi brief yep. while she's on the plane. So she still works for Nakatomi Corp and that corporation still exists somehow after losing all their bonds yeah. out the window. And like their head US branch executive as well. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I um I I appreciated that this movie tried to be connected to the first movie, but there was very minimal amounts of um crossover I felt. Like this movie recaps what happened in the first movie just pretty much instantaneously. And then that's it. You don't need to know anything more about it. So let's see. Yeah. Oh, the other thing I was going to say about um, this, uh, this movie is I did not get that one sequence on the plane with Holly, like that it had been going on for so long with uh, that other like random guy. Is that guy somebody that appeared in the first movie and I've just forgotten about him? Yeah, so in the first movie, he is the uh, he works for uh, the L.A. News, and he posts on the news uh, something somehow revealing the fact that John McClane is married to her, and uh, gives it away to Hans Gruber that the guy running around killing everybody is her husband and so um you know Hans Gruber's like I'm gonna kill you next right at the end and then at the end of the movie she walks out and like punches him in the face at the end of this movie they bring up 
or the, uh, during this movie, they bring up the fact that they have a, uh, like a restraining order. Ah. I thought a lot of that airplane scene, we haven't really talked about the stuff that goes on mm-hmm. on the airplane. Uh, very bizarre. Um, like they're so excited to use phones yeah. <laughs> on the plane and, and, uh, was commenting we were thinking about as we watching this movie we were like man it's great they don't have internet because they can't be reading the news about what's going on yeah. down on the airport and then they turn on local news and i'm like oh great now they're gonna find out and instead <laughs> they just watch the simpsons yeah that whole plane thing was just i was very lost and it, i don't know it was odd <laughs> yeah yeah i agree uh, any other thoughts on Bruce Willis? No, I don't, I don't think so. In Die Hard do. 2. Uh, one, other, one other scene I wanted to talk about was, um, I don't remember which scene it was. I think it was the scene with the grenades, which, by the way, were like the <laughs> yeah. longest time grenades <laughs> Like 30 ever. second rays or whatever. But there's some scene... Yeah, right. There's some scene in which an explosion goes off and Bruce Willis like flies way up into the air and he gets super close to the camera. That's oh, kind of when over he uses the, scene, the um, and then he falls back the down. Ejector seat. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, he uses the ejector seat to get out of the to get away from the grenades. Uh I thought that was like pretty cool. And I know that this movie was one of the first movies to do some different special effects that were kind of yeah. new in the nineties, and I thought um, a lot of the special effects looked cool. There's a movie called Casino, which mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen. I think it comes out two or three years later. Um, and uh, it's directed by Martin Scorsese. And it has a similar opening scene. Um, spoilers for the movie Casino. But the movie opens with Robert De Niro's character kind of being uh, in, a, in a, he's in a car bomb oh. explosion. And then later you find out that all he does is get thrown up in the air and then falls back down and survives the car bomb explosion. But a very similar kind of effect where you're watching someone on top of an explosion fly up towards the camera and then back down. And uh, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I like that. I, uh, it, de- it definitely isn't one of those shots where you see it and you go, wow, this really holds up. But for the time, I'm sure it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I thought it was neat. I yeah, I think that this movie did use a lot of cool stuff with green screen, like the burning plane in the background was green screen and stuff like that. So they were trying to push boundaries and everything. And I think that that might be one of the main reasons why the budget is so much higher. That and the fact that there's a lot more actors yeah. in this movie than the first movie, and more sets. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So we've now come to the part of our podcast where we're going to rank all of the bruce willis movies that we have seen kendrick do you want to go first uh sure so this is the sixth movie we've seen and i think die hard 2 colon die harder for me falls right in the middle at spot number three so before it would be die hard and in country mine also goes below in country and i was thinking about it and I think I actually like Look Who's Talking more than I like Die Hard 2. So What? <laughs> yeah. So I, I think I'd put Die Hard 2 in at my um, number four spot. So it'd be Die Hard, In Country, Look Who's Talking, Die Hard 2, Sunset, and Blind Date. 
Yeah. Wow. Look Who's Talking is number six yeah. for me. So <laughs> I'm really interested to see uh, our feelings on Look Who's yeah. Talking 2. This is our first sequel. Uh, I know Bruce Willis, his many movie credits includes a lot of sequels and a lot of he he reprises reprises a lot of the same character over and over again but uh i thought you know though so far die hard 2 seemed to john mcclain holds up yeah yeah i'm i'm excited to see what else they do with this character hopefully they do something else with the character and it's not just him reacting to situations and the all the character development that we got was in the first movie but We'll see. <laughs> That's yeah. the hope. That's the hope. All right. So now it's time for an important part of this show. Yeah, I'm assuming that you're referring to the Wheel of Willis, right? Yeah. And longtime listeners of the show will know that we always say the every same thing. Every single time. When every single time. And we always say it perfectly. And that is Whisk That that Wheel. All right. And today. All right. So the question for today is, would you trust this Bruce Willis character to house sit for you? So would you trust John McClane to house sit for you? So I think it's good to be to make a note that it's John McClane of Die Hard 2. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> um, to house it for me. I think I would. I think I would. Uh, he seems like he likes taking care of stuff. And uh, I think he would care for my house and my cats and my my plants, which is really, you know, the important part of house sitting. What about you, Josh? Um. In case my critique of John McClane earlier was not enough to go off of, I would say no. <laughs> I, I feel like somebody would try to rob my house and then Bruce Willis would get into a large fight with them and half of my wall would be blown open when I got back. And he's like, well, I stopped them from stealing your TV. And I'd be like, well, great. I'm sure that this wall is going to cost me less than $300 to fix. So that's perfect. So you think he attracts so- mayhem? I think that he he doesn't turn it down and sometimes the if you're looking at things from a like negation of the worst outcome I'm trying to think of what that's called damage mitigation if you're looking at things from a damage mitigation perspective having Bruce Willis around is maybe not the best idea all the time all right um and now we have a special listener submitted response to the Wheel of Willis. If you'd like to submit a listener response to a Wheel of Willis question, you can get a hold of us at williswaypod at gmail.com or tweet at us at williswaypod. Hey, so my name is Amy, longtime fan. And uh, my answer to the Wheel of Willis question would you let Bruce Willis? Uh, John McClain house it for me. I think I, I think I would. He seems to have like a very sensitive heart and like cares a lot about things. Um, So, I mean, we're getting a puppy and I would just want to make sure he's not like 
roughhousing with a puppy too much. But in terms of like protecting our place, I would trust him. I would trust him. And he seems to have like a gut instinct about people. So if like packages, like mailmen are like kind of uh, crazy people walking around. I think I would trust him to house it. Die Hard 2, I liked it because it was like clever, you know, with like the blanks and the guns and stuff. Whereas the first one was awesome just because of the explosions. And I mean, just Bruce Willis is just trying to show his like badassness, I guess, or whatever. And just like walking through glass. But I liked the second one more because second time watching it, it's just so good. Thank you, Amy. Now I think we have some emails we're going to read. Sounds good. So this email is from Nathan, and he sent this to us about our in-country episode, which debuted a couple of weeks ago. And he wrote, the podcast was very in-depth, and I liked this most recent episode, which required less jokes and more analysis which I thought the both of you did very well. And then he followed up and said, also the shortest U S veteran was Richard Flaherty Flaherty F L A H E R T Y. And he was four feet, nine inches tall, three inches too short, technically. And he served in Vietnam. So, we had mused about if in country would be more or less entertaining with a half as tall Bruce Willis. And it, regardless of what you think about that, it would be less realistic. <laughs> huh? Thank you, Nathan, for that email. We will strive to yeah. not change our jokes. Yes. The same jokes every week. That's what you can expect here at where there's a Willis, there's a way. <laughs> All right. I think that's going to wrap up this episode. Uh, Josh, it's been wonderful talking to you. Likewise. If you would like to follow me, Kendrick, on Twitter, you can follow me at K Martinix, K-M-A-R-T-I-N-I-X. And if you would like to follow me, you could find me on Twitter at Joshing Carter. Next time, we will cover our second sequel, Look Who's Talking To. So looking forward to that conversation. And can't wait. I also, or I too, can't wait. See you then. <laughs> I can't wait too. I I can't wait. Who's talking about? Who's talking to? Let you know.